Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. We have a well. Okay, I'm setting the goal. <laughs> and our you because you are not letting me have my warm spot. You're taking advantage well, of my warm spot. Scoochity scoochroo. If you guys hear the dog in the background, I'm gonna take a pause and put them in the crate because they're being a little crazy. All right, the a series of unfortunate in- events. The reptile room book. The second, instead of the second book, book the second. Isn't that funny? Chapter one. The stretch of road that leads out of the city past Hazy Harbor into the town of Tedia is perhaps the most unpleasant in the world. It is called Lousy Lane. Lousy Lane runs through fields that are sticky, that are a sickly gray color, in which a handful of scraggly trees produce apples so sour that one has to only has to look at them to feel ill. Lousy Lane traverses the Grim River, a body of water that is nine-tenths mud and that contains extremely unnerving fish, and it encircles a horseradish factory so the entire area smells bitter and strong. I'm sorry to tell you, that this story begins with the Baudelaire orphans traveling along this most displeasing road. And that, from this moment on, the story only gets worse. Of all of the people in the world who have miserable lives, and, as I'm sure you know, there are quite a few, the Baudelaire youngsters take the cake, a phrase which here means that more horrible things have happened to them just about than just about anybody. Their misfortune began with an enormous fire that destroyed their home and killed both of their loving parents, which is enough sadness to last anyone a lifetime. But in the case of the three children, it was only the bad beginning. After the fire, the siblings were sent to live with a distant relative named Count Olaf, a terrible and greedy man. The Baudelaire parents had left an enormous fortune which would go to the children when Violet came of age. And Count Olaf was so obsessed with getting his filthy hands on the money that he hatched a devious plan that gives me nightmares to this very day. He was caught just in time, but he escaped and vowed to get a hold of the Baudelaire's fortune sometime in the future. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny still all had nightmares about Count Olaf's shiny, shiny eyes and about his one scraggly eyebrow and most of all about the tattoo of an eye that he had on his ankle. It seemed like that eye was watching the Baudelaire orphans wherever they went. So I must tell you that if you have opened this book in hopes to find that the children lived happily ever after, you might as well shut it and read something else because Violet... Klaus and Sonny, sitting in a small cramped car and staring out the windows at Lousy Lane, were headed towards an even more misery and woe. The Grim River and the Horseradish Factory were only the first of the sequence of tragedy and unpleasant episodes that would bring a frown to my face and a tear to my eye whenever I think of them. 
The driver of the car was Mr. Poe, a family friend who worked at the bank and always had a cough. He was in charge of overseeing the orphan's affairs. So it, so it was he who decided who the children would be placed in the care of of a distant relative in the country after all of the unpleasantness with Count Olaf. I'm so sorry if you're uncomfortable, Mr. Poe said, coughing into a white handkerchief. But this new car of mine doesn't fit too many people. We couldn't even fit any of your suitcases. In a week or so, I'll drive them back here and bring them to you. Thank you, said Violet, who at 14 was the oldest of the Baudelaire children. Anyone who knew Violet well could see that her mind was not really on what Mr. Poe was saying because her long hair was tied up in a ribbon to keep out of her eyes. Violet was an inventor, and when she was thinking up inventions, she liked to tie her hair up this way. It helped her think clearly because of the various gears, wires, and ropes involved in the most creations in most of her creations. After living in so long after living so long in the city, Mr. Poe continued, I think that you will find the countryside to be pleasant change. Oh, here the turn oh, here's the turn. We're almost there. Yeah? Is that driving you crazy? The dogs are driving you crazy? You want me to put them up? Okay, hold on, guys. Okay, we decided we're going to let them play because they're finally getting along. Okay, we're almost there. Good, Klaus said quietly. Klaus, like many people in the car rides, was very bored. And he was not sad to have a book with him. Klaus loved to read. And at approximately 12 years of age, he had read more books than many people read in their whole lives. Sometimes he read well into the night and in the morning could be found fast asleep with a book in his hand and his glasses still on. I think you'll like Mr. Montgomery too, said Mr. Poe. He traveled a great deal, so he has plenty of stories to tell. I've heard his house is filled with things he's brought from all the places that he's been. Back, Sonny shrieked. Sonny, the youngest of the Baudelaire orphans, often talked like this, as infants tend to. In fact, besides biting things with every four sh- with her very four sharp teeth, speaking in fragments was how Sunny spent most of her time, and it was often difficult to tell what she meant to say. At this moment, she probably meant to say something along the lines of, I'm nervous about meeting a new relative. All three children were. How exactly is Mr. Montgomery related to, related to us? asked Klaus. Montgomery is, let me see, your late father's cousin's brother's wife. I think that's right. He's a scientist of some sort, and he receives a great deal of money from the government. As a banker, Mr. Poe was always interested in money. What should we call him, Klaus asked. Well, you should call him Dr. Montgomery. Mr. Poe replied, unless he tells you to call him Montgomery. Both of his first and last names are Montgomery. His name is Montgomery Montgomery, Peyton. His name is Montgomery Montgomery, Klaus said, smiling. Yes, and I'm sure he's very sensitive about that, so don't ridicule him, said Mr. Poe, coughing again into his handkerchief. Ridicule means tease, Klaus sighed. I know what ridicule means, he said. He did not add that, of course, he also knew how not to make fun of someone's name. Occasionally, people thought that because the orphans were unfortunate, they were also dim-witted. Violet sighed too. He took the ribbon, she took the ribbon out of her hair. She had been trying to think up an invention that would block the smell of horseradish from reaching her nose. 
but she was too nervous about meeting Mr. Dr. Montgomery to focus on it. Do you know what sort of scientist he is, she asked. She was thinking Dr. Montgomery might have a laboratory that would be of use for her. I'm afraid not, Mr. Poe admitted. I've been very busy making the arrangements for you three, and I didn't even have much time for chit-chat. Oh, here's the driveway. We've arrived. Mr. <laughs> the dogs. Sorry, guys. Mr. Poe pulled the... <laughs> Mr. Pope pulled the car up a steep gravel driveway and turned towards an enormous stone house. The house had a square front door. Don't worry, you guys. He's not choking. They just are play- They're eating pieces of fuzz, and he has it stuck in his throat, I think. He's eating pieces. Of the bed. Of it's, um, um, um. Oreo's bed? No. Okay. Kind of... Yeah. Fuzz. Cotton. Cotton, yep. The house had a square stuffing. front... Stuffing. Good job. A square front door made of dark wood with several columns marking the front porch. To each side of the door, the lights were in the shape of torches, which were very brightly lit, even though it was morning. And above the door, was a, the house had a rows and rows of square windows, most of which were open to let in the breeze. But in the front of the house was what was truly unusual. A vast, well-kept lawn, dotted with long, thin shrubs in remarkable shapes. As Mr. Poe's car came into halt, the Baudelaire's could see that the shrubs had been trimmed so as it to look like a snake. Each hedge was a different kind of serpent. Some long, some short, some with their tongues out, and some with their, tongue, with their mouths open, showing green, fearsome teeth. They were quite eerie. Their... They were quite eerie, and Violet, Klaus, and Sonny were a bit hesitant about walking beside them on their way to the house. Mr. Poe, who led the way, didn't seem to notice the hedges at all, possibly because he was busy coaching the children on how to behave. Now, Klaus, don't ask too many questions right away. Violet, what happened to the ribbon in your hair? I thought you looked very distinguished. And somebody please make sure Sonny doesn't bite Dr. Montgomery. That would not be a first, good first impression. Mr. Poe stepped up to the door and rang the doorbell. That was one of the loudest doorbells the children had ever heard. After a moment's pause, they could hear approaching footsteps, and Violet, Klaus, and Sonny all looked at one another. They had no way of knowing, of course, that very soon there would be more misfortune with their unlucky family. But nevertheless, they felt uneasy. Would Dr. Montgomery be a kind person, they wondered? Would he at least be better than Count Olaf? Could he possibly be worse? The, do- the door creaked open slowly, and the Baudelaire orphans held their breath as they peered into the dark entryway. They saw a dark burgundy carpet that lay on the floor. They saw a stained glass light fixture that dangled from the ceiling. They saw a large oil painting of two snakes intertwined together that hung on the wall. But where was Dr. Montgomery? Hello, Mr. Poe called out. Hello. Hello, 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 a voice boomed from, from, boomed out and from behind the door stepped a short chubby man with a round red face. I'm your Uncle Monty and this is a really perfect timing. I just finished making a coconut cream cake. He's not fat or chubby. Well, in the book he is, so in the movie they made him different. Remember how I said sometimes you'll read a book and you'll say, you'll read the book first and then you'll watch the movie and then you'll be like, that's not how it happened. (laughs) Because you know the book's the first one. 
Okay, I think this little lady, are you ready for bed? Mm. You want me to read it one more chapter? Okay, we're gonna go on, guys. <laughs>